0: Thanks for that, Dave. Wow, so lovely to be with you guys today. And uh, more rain coming tomorrow. I, just, I usually wake up when I'm preaching and I go to a coffee shop early in the morning. So I need caffeine and I need some cheerful baristas and some music to just help me. And of course, the Holy Spirit. Everything is going wrong here. <laughs> okay. Okay. You're going to make it. So this week and next week, uh, myself and Jesse next week, we're preaching on Pentecost. Uh, you know, Pentecost, uh, like Dad said, is the day the Spirit of God was first poured out on the church. So we thought we can take a break from the Abraham series and coming back to Abraham after Pentecost. Um, but uh, Jesse and I were ch- chatting and I said, you know what, I will pull out some verses from the Gospel of Luke because the Gospel of Luke points towards Pentecost. And then Jesse next week is going to pull out some passages about where Pentecost actually arrives from the book of Acts. So the fascinating thing about Pentecost is there's so much that points towards it in the Bible. You know, there's these verses saying, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. And then in Acts chapter 2, it's, it's here. And then after Acts chapter 2, there's so many passages that say, you know, pointing back to Pentecost as this kind of new norm for the people of God. Pentecost means we now live in the time in history where Jesus is seated on a throne and he pours out his spirit upon his people. So I'm just going to pull out some verses from the Gospel of Luke. Uh, I'm just going to take a bunch of, verses, them, bunch of verses, speak on 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 them. Then we will pray and we'll ask God for an outpouring of his spirit. By the way, it's already happening. I mean, if you want to know what happened while we were singing this morning. That's the outpouring of the presence. You're like, what happened? When we walked in here, there's just a whole like empty space and some lonely people. But God has come into the house. So let me go to Luke chapter 3, verse uh, 15. And uh, the people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John the Baptist uh, might possibly be the Messiah. But John answers it all. I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come. The straps of your sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Yeah. John took people. This is the Jordan River. They said, take okay, come now. And he plunged their bodies under the water. The word baptize means to immerse, to engulf. And if you like Omar Rice, one thing better than Omar Us is to engulf Omar Rice. Pump that thing in. You've got to pull it up soon unless it breaks. How much of my life I've spent trying to get Maori biscuits out the bottom of my cup of coffee. <laughs> baptized. John baptized in water, but John says there's coming a time, the next guy, who's much more impressive than me, who's the real Messiah, he's going to take people and he's going to baptize them. He's going to plunge them, not into water like I'm plunging you, he's going to plunge them into the Holy Spirit. That, by the way, sounds like an experience. So, um, you know, when you become a Christian, someone sits you down and says, by the way, I want to teach you something. The Holy Spirit now lives inside of you. He's in there somewhere. Just trust me. The Bible says as much. But when Luke is speaking about the Holy Spirit, he's not so much speaking about this invisible, imperceptible, subconscious work of the Spirit. Just by faith, Nina, trust me, he's in there. Okay, the Bible says it. Luke is always speaking about an experience. You don't need to claim it by faith you know it by experience and then of course in acts chapter 2 the church gets baptized by the spirit they are powerfully immersed in the presence of god what is the baptism of the spirit for well i can think of six things right away when god pours out his spirit upon you in, in an experiential way one of the things that happens is an assurance of salvation are you already are saved by faith in Jesus. If you haven't put your faith in Jesus this morning, I would encourage you to do that. That's your next step if you're wondering. Trust in Jesus. And by trusting in Jesus, your heart will be cleansed and you get a right relationship with God. You are reconciled with God. Salvation is all by the work of Jesus. But but still it's pretty awesome when you don't just know it to be true by faith, you feel it. And when God pours out his spirit, you know that you know that you know that you're God's child and you belong to him. Yay! And doubt um, is a part of the life of faith. Because there are times in the Christian life when it feels like God has abandoned you. And come to think of it, it's been a long time since you felt him. And did you ever feel him? And, you know, those kind of things happen in your mind. And you're filled with doubt. That there's something that happens when the Spirit of God is poured out upon you. That for the moment at least all doubt is vanquished. And you get brought to a place of utmost certainty that God is real. And that He's here right now. And that you are one of His. You belong to Him. This assurance of salvation comes. tell you what else comes. Boldness. Supernatural boldness. You know, you get extroverts and introverts. You get confident people type and then quiet people type. When the Spirit comes upon you, that kind of supernatural certainty has got a confidence edge about it. You not only know that God is real, you find yourself more ready to tell some people that God is real. You're able to share your faith with a little more boldness. The doubt has been vanquished and, and you find yourself overflowing and ready to share with people. When I was first filled with the Holy Spirit, I just started dreaming about telling the whole world about Jesus. Just let me at him. Let me at him. And I got saved when I was 16 years old. And then they made this, they did this thing at school. They said, uh, you know, if any of you want to give a little assembly, little inspiration moment, you can. So I'll just put my name on that list any chance to get in the back in a school of 600 people Seaport High School and I would I would like find my angles any chance I could get there was a boldness that came upon me I knew what to do in my life I, was, I stumbled across this almighty purpose that I could introduce the world to their creator. They could have a relationship with him. Tell else what happens when you're filled with the Holy Spirit or baptized with the Holy Spirit. There comes a consciousness of God's love. It comes a consciousness of God's love. If you have the love of God poured on in your hearts, I'm talking about God hugging you. You know, my children I love them and they know that I love them. But every now and then, I scoop them up, and I squeeze them, and I tell them I love them, and I tell them I'm proud of them, and I just, somehow, in a moment, if I could just I could feel my love, and God loves you, and you need to remember that, and don't doubt that, but it is pretty special when God takes the time to hug us, to Scoop us up and to whisper in our ear, This is my child, who my love, who might. Well, please. And you don't have have your act sorted out to get this love. In fact, I propose you can never make real progress in Christ likeness until you are so secure in God's love. Because if you're not secure in God's love, there's so much fear in your life. And if so, there's a tendency towards a performance orientation, where your relationship with God is quite performance orientated. You feel like, you know, if I could just sort my life out, then I'll be in God's good books. tell you what else that happens is a delight in the intense nearness of Jesus. A delight in the intense nearness of Jesus. I mean, the songs we were singing today, Jesus, Jesus, just that name, Jesus. It's such a... A beautiful name to say, and not just to say, but to feel the presence of, of Jesus. And there is an ease of prayer that comes. You know, talking to God sometimes feels a bit stiff. Not when you have the Holy Spirit freshly poured upon you. There is an easiness in prayer that comes to you. You just, you can just talk with God because you're His child. What a privilege that the King Almighty is accessible to us. I mean, who can wake up a king at three o'clock in the morning and ask for a glass of water? Only that king's child. And and we have that access to God and and we can talk with him. We can tell him our problems and we can tell him we love him. We can talk with him. There's an easiness in prayer. There is also a fullness of joy. In his presence, there is fullness of joy. We live in a secular age. You you're just born into the world, you look around, you think this is how the world has always been. We are in a fresh experiment in parts of the human race called secularism. Where secularism has basically said, everything that you need is in- imminent in nature. So you can find it in nature. You don't need to look beyond nature to make sense of the world that you live in. And what you need is in nature. So if you just have success, or sex, or romance, or great experiences and it's an utterly disappointing experience because because we still have an infinite yearning for something that that that, that only our creator can give us and yet we are trying to take things in nature to try to satisfy us. And the scientist Blaise Pascal, he was also a philosopher, he said inside of us there is a God-shaped vacuum that God alone can fill. I mean, here you are, we're in the middle of the city of Cape Town. We've got so many things going for us. Why don't you all come today? Because you feel what I feel, that this world is not enough. That clip and foot is not enough. That a day of victim is not enough. That, that planning your next holiday is not enough. That finding the love of your life is not enough. There is a God-shaped vacuum inside of us that only God can fill, and even in the suckiest circumstances. You can get into the presence of God, and you can experience such a joy. God pours out His Spirit upon us. Let me go to Luke chapter 3, verse one. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized to... As he was praying, heaven was open, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, You are my son, whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. Jesus himself, the man, was filled with the Holy Spirit. And this is a biblical description. The heavens were open, and the Spirit of God descended. One of the most wonderful times in life is when you feel like you're under an open heaven. And one of our prayers for Signal Churches, whenever we gather in Jesus' name, we're under an open heaven, that just to be together and call in the name of Jesus, to punch a hole. And the Spirit of God descends upon us. And I love that picture, descending on Jesus like a dove. What's that about? Well, when in the Bible was there a dove that came to anyone? Well, in the story of Noah, if you don't know, there was judgment upon the world. These guys are floating around in and off they're wondering if there's land out there they can't see it they send out a dove the dove comes back with a bit of a vegetation in its mouth it's a sign there is new life out there there is new creation they've got a sample of new creation one of the things the spirit of god does is he gives us a sample of new creation god will restore the whole world and in Holy spirit we taste in advance what's to come Jesus is praying when the Spirit of God descends on him. One of the things that Luke, right, stresses about the Holy Spirit, is he stresses how as we pray the Spirit comes. We need to ask for the Holy Spirit. I'll make that point soon enough. Luke chapter 4, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Not only does Jesus have this mountaintop or sorry, river experience of the Spirit that is dramatic and memorable. But now he is mocked by the Spirit of God so that, that at any given day you can say, Jesus is full of the Spirit. In the book of Acts, often the church, Barnabas, Stephen, other characters, they're described as being full of the Spirit. There are these wonderful mountaintop experiences of the Spirit being poured out, where, where from time to time, God just overwhelms us with His presence. But the goal of these experiences is to mock us with the Spirit so that we are a person who comes to be characterized as somebody who is full of the Holy Spirit. Full of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is led by the Spirit. He's sensitive to the promptings and the nudges of the Spirit. The Spirit says to Jesus, go to the desert. Go to the desert. And one of the joys of having the Holy Spirit in our lives is not only does He fill us from time to time, and not only does He mock our lives with His presence, but He nudges us in a direction. Tells us what to do. He tells us to approach that person. And uh, I wish that he would lead us all the time. And I know some people who seem to have a more of a direct line to heaven. And um, and um, I think that should be something we should aspire to. Um, God, lead me. prompt me. nudge me. Let me be a person who is sensitive to, to the, the Holy Spirit's presence. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit after his time in the desert, he went to Nazareth where he'd been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, and wrote it he found the place where it is written. And he reads from Isaiah 61, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to pro- proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. The scroll is handed to Jesus, and the next part of the scroll to be read just happens to be Isaiah 61. It's a beautiful story because it's a prophecy written 700 years before the coming of Christ about Jesus. And Jesus, who has just been filled with the Holy Spirit, is now reading a passage that explains why He has been filled with the Spirit. He says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, He has anointed me to proclaim good news. And this passage beautifully uh, echoes the jubilee in the Old Testament. Every 15 years, the Israelites would cancel all debts, would return all land back to the family from whence it came. It would be a giant reset moment for the people of God where this kind of, what had gone wrong in society, they would try extra hard in that, that year to fix it. Fix what's broken in society. And Jesus is saying, the Spirit of God is upon him because he's bringing uh, this jubilee to the world. Pentecost means 50. Jubilee also means 50. God's Spirit comes upon us because he is empowering us to bring jubilee to the world. He is empowering us for a life of mission. It's wonderful that the Spirit comes upon us to assure us of uh, the Father's love for us. But the Spirit of God also come upon us to empower us for our, our amazing mission. And uh, you know, you might feel your mission is not that extraordinary. But I think what happens in a church is that all of our little parts of this mission come together. It makes such a magnificent whole this tapestry of each unique part. And one of the great adventures of the Christian life is discovering the unique contribution the Spirit of God empowers you to make in the church and in the city of Cape Town. Now, here's something fascinating: the Gospel of Luke tells in chapter three and four of how the Spirit of Jesus, the the Holy Spirit, comes upon Jesus while he is praying. It comes with these powerful auditory signs. There is a voice from heaven saying, this is my son. There's these visual uh, indicators. There's lighting upon him, a dove coming upon him. Then he preaches a sermon, and in the sermon, he pulls out an Old Testament prophecy about how the Spirit of God is going to come, and this ignites him into a life of mission that he immediately leads, in Luke chapter 4 and 5, to miracles and opposition. Come to think of it, and you see what Luke, who writes the book of Acts, is doing in the book of Acts, the exact same thing happens to the church. The church in the upper room are praying, the Spirit of God comes upon them, and there are auditory signs, it says that there's a sound of wind in the house, there's visual signs, there's something like flames coming upon their heads. Immediately, this leads to a sermon where Peter preaches, Peter 3 pulls out this Old Testament prophecy, and this time it's Joel chapter 2, that prophesies about the coming of the Spirit, and and, and Peter uses this prophecy, preaches the mission about Jesus, and then gets launched out, into the church is launched out, and they do miracles, and they face opposition. You see what Luke is doing very carefully. He's showing that what happened to Jesus in the end ministry is a future flash of what happens to the church. Jesus is the anointed exemplar. Exemplar means that, that he's like a paradigm, he's a prototype. Beautiful analogies between the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts. Luke chapter 11. Now, which of you fathers asks Jesus if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead, or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then know you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Matthew tells the same story. Asking you'll see, seeking you'll find, knocking the door will be open. If a child asks the Father something good, the Father will give them good gift. Luke takes that story and adds in the detail of the Holy Spirit. The ultimate gift that God can give to his children is the Holy Spirit. Now, this cannot refer to the Holy Spirit who comes and looks inside of us when we are Christians. Christian. Because he's already speaking to people who are God's children. He says, you're God's children. This is how you pray. So when we are asking for the Holy Spirit, it must refer to our daily reliance on the Spirit. Jesus is saying, you want more of the Spirit in your life? Ask. You want more of the Spirit in your life? Ask. And of course, Jesus has just done that. He's praying for the Spirit comes upon him. In the book of Acts, every time there are people who are filled with the Spirit, every single time it makes reference to the fact that they are praying. In, um, in Acts chapter 4, it says that the disciples John and Peter who were with the Samaritan believers and, and prayed for them to receive the Holy Spirit, then laid their hands on them. You want more of the Spirit in your life? Ask more! What if every day of your life you would add to your your prayers this prayer? God, pour out your spirit upon me. God, energize me by your Holy Spirit. God, fill me to overflowing. Ask, Lord. Ask. The oldest prayer in the Christian church is come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Let's jump now to Luke chapter 24, the end of the gospel. Jesus has died. He's risen again from the dead. He's gathered now with his church for 40 days. And he's telling, getting them ready for their mission. And he says, you are a witness of these things in verse 48. I mean, you're a witness to the fact that I died and I rose again from the dead. I going to send you what my Father has promised. But stay in the city and you will a, a, until you have been clothed with power from on high. Jesus has risen from the dead. He's about to send to the heavens and he says to the church, Don't budge till the power comes. Don't budge till the power comes. I'm going to send you what my father has promised throughout the whole Old Testament, again and again, especially through the prophets Isaiah and Ezekiel. And Zechariah. There have been these prophecies of a time when the Spirit of God will come upon people. Probably the most important, Job chapter 2. In the last days, I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. My sons and your sons and daughters will prophesy. Old men will dream dreams. Young men will have visions. The young and the old, the Spirit of God comes upon you. This is a promise God had made. And yet in the Old Testament, there's just been a sprinkling of people, really, that have had these powerful experiences of the Spirit. Some prophets have had that experience. Many kings have had that experience. Maybe the high priest has had that experience. But pretty much everybody else just looks at a couple people that seem to get the Spirit. And he carries a promise that it's just going to go wild that everybody, everywhere has the possibility of experiencing what the kings of the Old Testament experienced. This Spirit of God coming upon you from on high. I love this picture that you will be clothed with power from on high. When in the Old Testament was somebody clothed with power from on high? Dr. Craig Keener, uh, he writes commentary on this verse. Today. He's written uh, enormous commentaries. That he says that this is a reference to Elijah and Elisha. So now listen very carefully. You've got the Gospel of Luke, where it's the, it's the ministry of Jesus in the power of the Spirit. You've got the book of Acts, the ministry of the church in the power of the Spirit. This is the transition verse. Okay? And what, Paul, what Luke is doing is he's, he's using this as an analogy. He goes back to the story of Elijah and Elisha. So 2 Kings chapter 2 tells the story of Elijah, Elijah who did miracles. And he ministered in the power of the Spirit. And he preached. And then, see, Elijah comes to him and he says, Elijah, I want a double portion of what you've got. So Elijah says, well, you're going to have to keep your eye on me the whole time. And if you see me taken away, you can have a double portion of my Spirit. And he watches Elijah take his cloak off and put it into water and the river opens up. So in Eli- Elijah's mind, like, that cloak is a cloak of power. And then one day, he's, he's just trading. He's trading Elijah. And Elijah, Elijah suddenly gets taken up to the heavens in flames of wind and fire. And Elijah just stares at him because he's told, don't take your eyes off him. And Elijah goes up into the heavens. And then God falls and falls. Wow. <laughs> Can it Elijah? Picks it up. He goes to a river. He puts it in the river. And it oh, And it says that some people, some prophets, saw this happen and saw that Elisha now had a double portion of Elijah's spirit. Elisha is now clothed with power. And you see the analogy here. Jesus is with his disciples. He alone is ministering in the power of the spirits. And he's saying to them, one day you're going to get what I've got. Stick with me. And then there comes a day when he ascends to the heavens. We'll read about it now. And they keep their eyes on him. And he goes up. But this time he got away a bit longer. Jesus goes up, disappears from their side. And 10 days later, the cloak falls out. The sky. Will it work? Can it work? The book of Acts tells what happened when I people pick up the cloak and try it out. Lo and behold, the ministry of Jesus has passed on to church. Jesus has moved his headquarters from earth to heaven. But now the church continues the ministry of Jesus in the earth. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted his hands and he blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they stayed continually at the temple praising God. I love this picture. Jesus lifts his hands up like the high priest used to do in the Old Testament, and blesses the people. He's blessing them. And with his hands lifted up, he goes up to heaven and they're watching this. It's a picture that right now, Jesus is still in that position of high priest. Hands lifted up. One of the most exquisite verses, I think, that is underrated is Hebrews 7.25. Jesus right now lives forever to pray for his people. He's praying for you. I need you guys to pray for me. and I'll try and remember to pray for you. And one of the huge perks about being in a nightclub is like, Can you guys pray for me? Especially tomorrow at 11 o'clock. Please, please pray for me. What's up there? You yes. guys remember to pray. I mean, prayer is so important. Prayer is such an advantage in your life. It's one of the great perks of investing yourself in a spiritual community. But there's somebody praying for you, even if you didn't WhatsApp anyway. Even if you're not by the right? Jesus is praying for you. Jesus is praying for you. What's Jesus in heaven doing right now? He's praying for you. I'll tell you what else Jesus is doing in heaven. He is pouring out his spirit. He's pouring out his spirit upon the church of Jesus. He is filling people with the Holy Spirit, whether it's individuals, whether it's groups of people, so that they are immersed in the wonderful, tantalizing presence of God. And they, again, are having this assurance of salvation, and they'll be given a supernatural boldness, and they are having the consciousness of God's love, and they are delighting in the intensity of Jesus. And there is an easiness of prayer, God is my Father. And there is fullness of joy. That's what Jesus is doing on the planet. On. What happened here this morning, calling the name of Jesus, God pouring out his spirit upon us, is right at the heart of what God is doing on the planet. Come on, that's a real sense of privilege that you've got to have that And let's praise Jesus and others. And let's let's invite an outpouring of the Spirit that even today there would be. Fresh coats of power coming upon our lives. Let's stand up. And we've got a little bit of time left. We're going to just invite the outpouring of the Spirit upon us. One of the ways that um, the Book of Acts describes the outpouring of the Spirit, it uses the language of the Spirit fell upon them. The it fell upon them and the Greek language then is used by Luke in other places he uses the exact same language as the story of the prodigal son you know the story of the prodigal son the sun? son that leaves the father and then really messes up his life and then when his turned between his legs he comes home and he knows he can't be a son again He's just going to be a servant. Now but he just needs a job and he needs food and he's begging. And as he comes, the father sees him. And in those days, men would never run, because that's disrespectful, because you'd have to pull up your cloak and show your legs. But this father, just, you know, his son's more important, pulls up his cloak, runs to his son, and, that's the Greek word, falls upon him. Embraces him. Spirit of God fall upon you. Let the grace of the Father come upon your life. Let it fill up the wounds that you've picked up. Maybe because of your sin. Maybe because of the sin of others. Maybe just because of life in a complicated place. But the Spirit of God fix what's broken. Let the Spirit of God secure you in the love of the Father. Let the Spirit of God uh, realign your whole life to the purposes of God. Let's, let's, let's ask for the Spirit to come down here. Let's ask. That's what Jesus taught. Ask. So, so I'm going to ask. But why don't you ask if you want to say Jesus, we just upon want me. You can pray that if you want to. Know. More will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. Father, pour out the Spirit upon me. 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 Open your hands, you don't have to do that. Open your your body, your body body language saying, I'm open, I'm open. And let the spirit of God just come rest upon you like a dove. So open heaven down there. Open heaven down there. Come on, spirit we pray. Right now. Come on, spirit we pray. Come on, spirit we pray. There we are.